0: Nutrafol, baby. <laughs> Phillips, you have been kind enough to be on this podcast because i 'm doing, as you may know, a multi part series on addiction, um, especially opioid addiction but um, i'm of all the guests, I am very excited about you because I think you have such a a difficult job as being, um, an, an intervention specialist. Um, and yet your job also just saves so many lives. So, um, talk to us first. How did you get into becoming an intervention specialist?
1: Well, I, uh, I have over, uh, I have over 23 years of, of chemical dependency, um, Experience. Uh, I've I worked in the field. Um, first of all, I'm a recovering addict myself. I have been for almost 20, uh, 20, going on 26 years. Wow. Uh, I wanted to once I uh, once I got clean, I uh, I wanted to to uh, uh, reach out and try to try to help others. And so I uh, I got into the field, uh, went back to school. Got my, uh, you know, got my degree in social work. Uh, uh, got a job working in a kitchen in a treatment program, and went up the ranks, and, and eventually become the clinical supervisor of that of that program. Wow. Uh, and uh, and just like addiction, addiction knows no barriers. I ended up having a uh, an issue within my own home, in which my daughter had a uh, uh, a chemical dependency issue. And, uh, in essence, we had, that was my very first intervention that I had to do was we, we actually had to do it with, with my own daughter. Wow. And, uh, after that experience, I, uh, I made a I made a decision that I, uh, that there were other families that needed help. And, uh, and I had an, I had a skill set. I had a knowledge that I felt that could, could benefit families. And, and so, uh, I, uh proceeded to get additional training in the intervention process, uh, looked at what worked, what didn't work, and uh, over the past several years I've been very successful at what I do.
0: So, yeah, get into that. What does work and what doesn't work? Because um, I have addiction, of course, in my own family. I mean, I think everybody does. And my brother is a recovering alcoholic. He's been seven years sober. Um, So in a crazy way, we kind of had our own intervention with him, but I'm not even sure if we knew it. And we'll get into, because I, I think... I hear this all the time, but so many families enable the addict. But um, before we talk about that, tell us like what works in intervention and what doesn't.
1: Well, uh, you know there are, there are a lot of different approaches to intervention. Uh, the one that everyone is most commonly uh, or most commonly relates to is the one that you see on the Intervention TV show. Oh, yeah. And and that particular that particular approach is called the Johnson method. Uh, it is uh, it is sometimes called love first, and it was developed back in the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, by the Johnson Institute. Institute. And uh, and at that particular time, we did not know as much as we know about dependent disorders as we do now. And uh, and so uh, at that particular time, there was a belief that you had to deflate the ego and then you had to rebuild it. Back up. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of treatment approaches. One in particular was called King Baby, uh, in which uh, you know clients went into treatment and and basically there was a there was an ego deflation and then uh, then they started to rebuild back up and it was based upon the idea that sometimes uh, you know even clients would have to wear signs and things of this nature in the program. Oh Lord! Well, as we begin to, yeah. as we begin to understand uh, the disease, uh, of a model of of addiction, and we begin to understand that this is a brain disorder, and the way it affects the brain is is uh, it it alters a, a, an individual's perception of their world around them, mm-hmm. and uh, and it also uh, hijacks what we call the survival imperative of the brain. And when it hijacks the survival imperative of the brain, they're basically trying to do the very thing. Uh, they're just trying to stay alive. That, that's what the brain is telling them. That I got to stay alive. This is this is what it's going to take is to use this substance over and over again. Mm. And we begin to understand that what happens is is that uh, the disease primarily. Uh, uh, lies within the emotional regulation part of the brain, uh, and the way that works is: is the things that are necessary for our survival are linked to emotional responses. Mm, things okay. like eating a nice meal. We all like to sit down and have a nice meal because it's enjoyable. Right. Uh, sleep. Even things such as procreation, sex they're enjoyable because they're necessary vital parts of the survival of the human species but also the human race and so they're emotionally charged and so what happens is is the drug comes in and hijacks that imperative and it becomes the central imperative of of this or the central survival imperative within the brain
0: Wow. Um so yeah, talk to us about that too and addiction is like you were saying cuz i guess a lot of times you sort of hear is it a chemical imbalance in the body that causes people to be addicted is it you know something emotionally that they're trying to fill but it sounds like it is more of a chemical imbalance in the body right that makes you addicted to a substance initially
1: well, well, the, the you know if you if you take a look at history and and what research now is really looking into and there's particular science in this and it's called epigenetics, and it's based upon the idea that you have to you have to research the past in order to understand what's happening in the present in order wow. to make changes in the in the present, and one of the things that we do find is is that that one of three things occur. In the, uh, in the genetic lineage of an individual that develops dependent disorders. Uh, there is some form of uh, other forms of dependent disorders. Uh, I'm talking about alcohol, drugs, cigarette smoking, gambling, even obesity, even workaholism and hoarding. There's some other form of dependent disorder that has occurred within uh, their, their generational lineage. Uh, some form of psychological or emotional issue, mm-hmm. uh, depression anxiety, issues with anger, or there's some form of trauma, uh, things such as early death, major losses, divorces, major life experiences, uh, childhood experiences like uh, uh, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, uh, automobile accidents, even things such as uh, major illnesses, um, diabetes, uh, uh, heart disease, or cancer. And what happens is, is that when these things happen across the generational lineage, the brain uh, actually changes. And when it changes, it, it forms what we call, um, um, what happens is, is it, has to, it changes because it has to develop coping and adaptive skills. Okay. And when it finds, when it finds a, an effective coping and adaptive skill that works well for it, then the brain will secrete a neurochemical, and that neurochemical is called glutamate. And what glutamate does is serves as a chemical memory. It helps us to remember it in case we ever have to to use it again. So, for for example, my mother passed away, and it's been close to 20 years. Mm. I took it very, very hard. My brain changed when that incident happened, and when it changed, it, it developed some form of coping and adaptive skill, and it released glutamate. Yeah. well when uh, when I had subsequent losses in my uh, in my life, such as the the death of my father about six years ago, my brain released and uh, went back to the glutamate, and the glutamate pulled it out, and I used the same coping and adaptive skill in order to help me to to get through my father's passing. that's That's what happens when we when we we experience this.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, So tell me this. Uh, Tell me about the intervention because I've I've been watching a lot of your videos and reading about you and you say that an actual intervention is absolutely nothing like the TV show, which that's what drives me nuts. I'm in the media.
1: The, well, the uh, you know when I when I come in and I do an intervention with someone first and foremost, uh, I, I try to invite him. I try to stay away from the word uh, intervention because it's a very, very loaded word. Mm-hmm. It brings up the connotation. Almost everybody has seen this show that has been on TV. Uh, Instead, uh, my objective when I come in is is that I want to get the individual out of the emotional part of their brain, and I want to get them into the cognitive regions of the brain, because that's the area of the brain where decision-making has to happen. The emotional part of our brain is not capable of solving problems. All decisions have to happen in the cognitive regions addicts tend to want to try to solve things in the, in the emotional part of the regulation of the brain. That's the reason they get angry, they get loud, they get boisterous. They, uh, they become upset when, they, when problems are presented to them. And, uh, and so we, well, one of the things that I use is I is use the development of a genogram in order to pull them out of that regulation part of the brain and into the cognitive regions where we're developing that, that genogram together as a family.
0: Hmm.
1: And, and part of this is, is that I, I sit down and I draw out the family tree with them. And then once I get the family, and I'll do three to four generations. And once I do this, uh, uh, get it drawn out, I'll use color in order to, uh, to distinguish one of three things. Um, other forms of dependent disorder, psychological and emotional issues, and trauma. And I and I go through and I talk about everybody in the family that may have ever suffered from it, and I show him or her the the attic, that they in essence may have inherited a backpack,
0: right.
1: And that backpack may have been may have been loaded with coping and adaptive skills, that had been learned and acquired across multiple generations. And what science has come to understand and uh, is is that uh, through epigenetics is is that. Genetics tends to load the gun, but it's environment that pulls the trigger. Something happens in their life, or a series of things happen in their life, and they simply respond the very, very best that they know how, given the skills that they were given. And when they got introduced to the substance, right. the event really has is immaterial. When they get introduced to the, the to the substance, their brain is looking for something, and because it's looking for something, it grabs a hold of the, of the substance and it pulls it into the survival mechanism part of their brain. So tell me, and the, so what it means okay. is, it's,
0: well, I was just going to ask you to, to kind of talk about the ways that family members enable the addict in the intervention, because I, I've seen a couple of your videos and you sort well, of talk about that.
1: Well, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is, is that, uh, when, when dependent disorders move into a family, in essence, everybody gets sick uh, they get sick because what happens is is a lot of times it's so subtle that as it starts to creep in, they start making adaptations along the way and Some of the things that families do is is that we we uh, we start lessening the blow you know uh, so we uh so we bail somebody out of jail or uh, or maybe we pick up a particular bill or maybe we give them a place to sleep or we give them food to eat. Well, the thing is, is is that, you know, families view that, well, that's just simply love. Well, yeah, it is, but there's a fine line between love and enabling behavior. Mm. And and a lot of times it's the perception that the addict is seeing at that moment in time. Uh, I'll give you an example, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, When I was in active abuse or active use, uh, I would do things such as I'd lie and I'd steal and I'd cheat and I'd practice conning and manipulative behavior, and I got real good at apologizing.
0: Mm.
1: I'd come back and I'd 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 even uh, tears would be flowing from my face and I'd apologize to my family, and then I'd always wait and I'd wait for two for one little word. It's okay.
0: How ironic. At checkout, that's tsfs at hero. dot co. Want your life back? Order Hungry Root. It's actually as simple as that. Truly, Hungry Root is the best meal kit service I have ever worked with because they have meals that take twelve.
1: Mm. And the moment that they said it's okay, they're telling me that they forgive me. But in essence, what I'm hearing and what my brain's processing is, is you just told me it was okay for me to treat you this way. Wow. And so therefore, it gives me license to do this again. So- and so, you know, the, the thing is, is we don't really, you know, ever draw the line and say, you know what? The way you treated me is not acceptable. Therefore, I am not going to allow that to happen again to me. We don't set those, those, those healthy boundaries that we need to have.
0: Wow, so, what do you recommend for family members? Because you know, family I, I have it in my own family. I see it all the time. Family members really know what's happening, but they're very afraid and fearful to take that step. And I think my own perception is they're afraid to take that step because they're worried the addict is going to go out and go on a binge or or really something is going to happen. So it's like, oh, I don't want to push them too far into their addiction. but what do you what's your advice then for family? The minute they know this Person, my brother, my sister, my mother, whatever, has an addiction, what should they do?
1: Well, uh, immediately, what the, you know, the first thing that I, that I always tell families is, is, is to gain knowledge. Knowledge is going to be key, okay? Mm. Uh, because the addict uh, will, will, is, knows how the drug makes them feel but they may not have the information necessary in order to make an informed decision. I still believe that if, you know, when when you're able to get somebody into a, a position where you're able to have a cognitive discussion with them, then if you give them good information, they have the ability to make a good choice and decision. But a lot of times what happens is we don't come armed with correct information, and it ends up becoming an emotional response. You can't – remember what I said earlier, you can't solve a problem with the emotional part of the brain. Yeah. Families, have, families have emotional ties to that person, and, it can, and they, have to be, they have to get into, uh, they get into this emotional exchange room where, they, where they, they beg them and they plead them and they yell and they scream. And, and those are all emotional responses, and you're not going to solve it there now we so uh go ahead
0: um we constantly now are inundated in the media and this is why i wanted to do this series that um opioid addiction alcohol addiction is at record highs in this country that more and more people are addicts so okay tell us why now why is that on the rise
1: Well, uh, you know, opiates opiates is a unique classification of drugs, okay? Uh, It is a classification of drugs uh, that not only affect the the survival imperative of the brain, but they also, uh, the uh, synthetic... Uh, endorphin. Our body produces natural endorphins. Okay, these are natural painkillers within the body. Now, what happens is, is that when we get introduced to an opioid, the brain or the reuptake sites cannot differentiate what is a a natural occurring endorphin and what is a synthetic endorphin. And so we take these drugs, and, or we take this classification of drugs, this heroin and the opiates. What happens is, is the, the reuptake sites receive it, and then they release other additional neurochemicals that, that inhibit natural production of endorphins. So the natural, the natural painkillers are not producing, and so they become more and more reliant upon this substance as the go-to. That's the reason that when people come down off of it, uh they their body tends to ache. They get a flu-like symptom. It's basically the 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 body is not producing the endorphins. It takes a while before those natural endorphins start coming back and uh, And often you know it needs to be done in a a safe environment, uh, an environment where you have uh, trained professionals who can be able to to help manage those symptoms. So that those nat the the natural body uh, production of endorphins happens.
0: I have two last questions for you. Um, one, sure. do, do you think the inter- the show intervention has helped this? You know, people get sober, or do you think it's hurting the perception of how you help a family member get sober?
1: Uh... I think it does a little bit of both. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, any show that creates an heightened awareness to uh, to the disease of addiction, and and I think it does a very, very good job uh, showing how the drug affects the family, how it affects the individual, how uh, their responses. Uh, the 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 where I have difficulty with it is in the is in the approach. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say this, is, is that uh, knowing who I am and I'm knowing and, and working with a lot of individuals, how would you feel if you walked into a room and there said all your family yeah. prepared to read all these letters and talk about how bad things have been? Wow. Uh, I believe in opening windows and talking about uh, the possibility of what life can be like without the substance and how much special and greater it can be. Uh, I believe in leaving those doors closed, and those doors need to be opened in a therapeutic environment uh, once a person starts treatment and they're able to address the things in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way.
0: And Robert, if you could raise, you know, if you could just wave a magic wand, what do you think would reduce alcohol, opioids, uh, any sort of drug abuse or, or dependency in this country? Do you think it would be knowing from a very young age, our genetic history? Like what, what would be the solution if resources were unlimited?
1: Well, I mean, research now is 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 uh, there there is a lot of research that is being poured into it, and uh, and the, and I think that the more we know about our past, we the more we know about what is our genetic components, then that also can help us to to have a, a perception of of way things are could be in the future and how can we change it. Uh, the human body is very good for adaptation i believe addiction is an adaptation that has happened uh in the coping mechanism of the brain Mm -hmm. um but uh you know just like it goes one direction it can go back in the other direction if we return to to certain key values um for example uh the, the one thing that i that I personally, and and i and I that I see is happening is is uh, we're seeing uh, the removal of the family dinner table. Uh-huh. You know, we are uh, we're, we're being annotated now with uh, social media, uh, cell phones, uh, you know, all of these things that are taking away the very human component of being aware and having those discussions on a regular basis with our young people. You know, uh, having that dinner with the family and, and sitting down and putting the cell phones aside and sharing what's going on in your life today. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the things, what are your struggles, what are the things that, that are going good. What way can we support us? Uh, we're, we're put here on the earth, and our, and our basic support system is our family. Mm. And uh, But that is, uh, that is where, where uh, we tend to be failing our young people today, is, is that we're, we're not utilizing the resources and how power it is. Nothing influences uh, a young person's personal decision-making ability than the involvement of a parent.
0: Wow. Oh, my God, Robert, you are such a godsend. Um, tell us, where can people reach out to you, find more about you, um, if they have any questions, where can we contact you?
1: Well, you can. Uh, you know, I, I work. Uh, I work with American Addiction Centers, uh, okay. exclusively with American Addiction Centers, and uh, and uh, the best contact that they can reach out to me is uh, uh, our hotline number is one 2649
0: Robert Phillips, you are a treat. And, uh, thank you. You've been
1: amazing. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you've been very kind, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to to share what I can.
0: Great, Robert. Take care. This was terrific, and I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, you know I love you. Thank you for listening to the Hey fray podcast, and of course, you're listening to Mindful Mondays. If you would head to iTunes, hit five stars, leave me a review, and tell me what you love about Hey Fray-ish and my podcast. That would be so great. More to come on this multi-part series at looking at addiction and op- an opioid addiction in our country. Thanks for listening.